This is the Washington State Indivisible Podcast, part of the Demcast family of podcasts. I'm your host, Stephen Cox. As we enter into the final stages of this campaign, as people are looking to make sense of what is happening at the national and state level, and as people are quite honestly looking for some direction and motivation to get across the finish line of what has been an extraordinary and exhausting four years, we convene a panel to discuss it all. Chris Petzold, head of Indivisible Washington's 8th District, and King County Democrats Chair Shasti Conrad are with us this week to offer some perspective, some guidance, and some words of wisdom. That is next. Hey, everybody, we are now in the final stages of the most important election of our lifetimes. And honestly, (laughs) these last four years have seemed like a lifetime. Uh, So to talk about the state of play at the national level, at the state level, and also especially about what you can be doing right now during this time, we are joined by Shasti Conrad. She is chair of the King County Democrats. Hi, Shasti. Hi, Stefan. It's so good to see you. Uh, And Chris Petzold, my friend, uh, founder and head of Indivisible Washington's 8th District. How are you? Hey, doing okay. How are you doing? Doing okay, likewise. Um, I, I mean, we were just talking before we started here. It's just like, it's how are you has become such a loaded question, right? It's like, inside we're just going not great, but you know, we're, we're gonna here. we're gonna we're gonna do Present. this thing. Shasti, before we start, congratulations! You are the recipient of the Party Leader of the Year Magnuson Award by the Democratic Party. It is a huge deal. Congratulations! Well deserved. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's such an honor, truly. Um, it's it's meant a lot. You know you've been on this journey with me as I've been sharing these last two years. So to see all that hard work, which you know it takes a team, and there's so many great people that have contributed to that, um, I was really proud to see our see our work recognized. Yeah, well, I was proud as well. And again, as I say, well-deserved. So let's start at the macro, and we'll move into the micro. So let's start at the national level. And honestly, you guys, the national news cycle has moved at such a clip that it's hard to know where to start, right? Between the the, the first debate, between Trump contracting COVID, and now Trump has ended talks with Democrats on Tuesday over a new COVID relief package. Now, um, I might be punchy, (laughs) but I'm just going to ask you both, why do you think Trump would walk away from negotiations that affect tens of millions of voters who are already voting right now? This election is already underway. Shasti, do you have any insight on this? I mean, I think the same thing is always with this guy is that it's ego and he wasn't going to be able to claim victory for it. And so he didn't want to have anything to do with it. And I think he just he I I honestly also think that he just wants to have whatever excuse he can to be able to try to hold on to power um, and he'll use. He doesn't want anything to distract from his own game. And um, we have to be I mean, I'm terrified about all of it. So, yeah. I, I think it's just his his ego. Yep, yep. I agree with that 100%. Chris, what are your insights here? I mean, how do you even explain something like that? It's ridiculous and stupid. And I think he's literally panicking on steroids. I heard that on the Lawrence O'Donnell show last night. I mean, seriously, like, it's just, it's frightening, actually, what's happening. And regardless of whether it's in part due to his medication, he's showing his true self in that he doesn't care about the millions of Americans who need this this help and how all the states that he is supposedly the president of need this this assistance. So it's it's just truly heartless and shameful and yeah. scary. 
100% agreed. And throw it on the pile of the many things that he has done over the last four years that fall into the category that you're saying there. I would also point out that it made the stock market drop 300 points when he announced it, which is his key metric. Uh, Ezra Klein had a great tweet about this. He said, Trump's actions are completely consistent. If there's one thing he's proven over the last year, it is that Trump will do anything to win re-election except govern. So I thought that was pretty on point. It also underscores that Democratic policies are the ones that fuel the economy. I mean, and we just saw on Monday, I think it was, that Goldman Sachs said that if a blue wave happened, they'd update their forecast um, for the recovery. It's time that we stop spreading this notion that Democrats are bad for the economy, because time after time, president after president, it's borne out. So I, I think that is actually coming to light even more right now. For Goldman Sachs to say it, I mean, that's, that is the state of the, the world that we are in, <laughs> right? Like, when have they ever cited or, like, come out in any favor of anything remotely close to progressive policies? So that is, I mean, that to me was the, like, okay, we're in a whole other world. I've been terrified um, for much of the last four years, and I'm there's starting to be a couple of signs of hope, and that was oddly, which as a real progressive, never I would have never said it before, um, a sign of a sign of a little blue sky, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about another one of those good signs. And I want to be very careful as I talk about this. But Trump's numbers have absolutely plummeted after the debate uh, and also his behavior and lack of responsibility around uh, his contracting COVID. Um, According to a CNBC change research poll on Tuesday, this is considered one of the gold standards tracking this sort of thing. Biden now leads in six uh, swing states, key swing states, Arizona, Florida, Michigan, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. Also, the Republican-leaning Rasmussen poll that came out today has him down 12 points nationally, has Trump down 12 points nationally. Now, I I don't want to jinx anything, and I'm going to absolutely stress that we have to keep working as if we were 12 points down. But I do want your thoughts on why, because right now is usually the time historically when numbers start to tighten and they're going in the opposite direction right now. Shas, do you any insight into why that is? Well, when you build an entire platform and administration based on lies and deceit and manipulation, eventually that balloon pops. And I think that what we are seeing, particularly in these last few weeks, um, now with him, you know, with COVID and the entire like Republican, it just seems like every Republican that you can think of now has gotten COVID after they have spent the last year gaslighting all of us in t- saying that this was not a big deal. It's not a threat. Don't wear masks. Don't social distance. All of that to see that sweeping through. I think people are starting to go like, wait a minute, reality is not matching with this story that they've been telling. I also think that his debate performance, you like the lack of likability that, you know, the lack of decorum, um, you know, I was watching it with my mother who's in her seventies and my mom's a true blue Democrat, but my mom was just so horrified by his, the way he bullied, um, Biden and how he was even rude to the moderate, all of that. And like that stuff like plays out, especially to older folks who are used to a certain way of how you conduct business. That is hard to defend. And I think that that veneer is just coming down. And I think also you're seeing all these years of people like both, both you and Chris have led with indivisible. That energy has been there for four years. And I think that it's showing in the turnout. 
of what people have been able to, it's like, this is the moment, like everything we've been doing in the last few years, it matters right now. And I think that's showing up and we should, you both should take a lot of pride in the work that you've done to help turn out that vote. Well, Chris, I'll let you take some some pride in that. And then I'll also ask you why you think the numbers are starting to to widen instead of tighten, which is what they usually do uh, at this point in the cycle. Well, it's, I think it's been happening. It's been coming for a while. I mean, looking back to um, what you said about the troops. I mean, we almost forgot about that. Um, his tax returns, um, the debate, as Shasti said, was just. Uh, it's unspeakable how awful it was. And I felt like I was hung over it the next day. It was just so awful. Um, And then um, now with him getting COVID, I I, I just, I feel like he's in a huge tailspin. Um, And, you know, like Chastity was saying, another reason that we shouldn't forget is all this hard work that so many people across this nation have been doing. You know, uh, Chastity mentioned us in Indivisible, but it's also Swing Left, the guys from Pod Save America, the state parties, the, you know, the party organizations across the state have been incredibly organized. I think because we learned that lesson in 2016 and it just never let up this whole time. And so I think that all of that together has really made this moment. We're seeing um, record numbers of uh, early voting turnout and voter registration, um, and now with these poll numbers. But don't be complacent. You know, we got to just keep our our, uh, foot on the gas until Election Day. Absolutely, 100%. I want to add one thing, too, which is there's a famous line that gets quoted in politics all the time, which is that, like, Democrats fall in love and Republicans fall in line. And I do want to give credit to the. I think that our side has really been showing discipline. Um, I think we did. Like, one of my biggest fears was that we wouldn't have learned those lessons from 2016. And, and you know, I want to give, like, real credit to my progressive brothers and sisters because yeah. it's been us that's had to make some of those accommodations to be like, look, we get it. You know, like, we have, we're going to have, our work doesn't end on November 3rd. For progressives, our work will continue because we have to hold, and I'm just going to say it, a Biden-Harris administration because that is, that's what's going to happen. I have to believe that. We have to yeah. hold them accountable. And I do think that our side is, is this time getting that and it gets what we're what we're facing and is coming together and they're not breaking. They are moving forward. And I think that's also really important to to point out. Yeah, 100 percent agreed. Uh, accountability is what it's going to be all about. Um, Shasti, I want to ask you about this. You worked for Biden. Uh, not many people know this. You worked for Biden in 2009 and 2013. You have worked on four presidential campaigns. So first, I would ask you, what have your observations been generally about how Biden has run his campaign uh, during this stage of the election? Yeah. And I, you know, my, my first big national political job was actually doing advance for, for at the time, Vice President Biden. Um, and, you know, one thing that's always been true, like, no, you can't, there's all kinds of things you can say about Biden, but he is a, I think, a decent man who is empathetic, who is able to speak to people's pain and people's grief in a way better than almost any other politician I've ever come across. Um, I think he's able to really channel the moment that we're in and that, you know, um, 
there have been moments in the last like year plus where I have not totally, I haven't always agreed with the strategy of, of his campaign. I worried about him um, being sort of in the bunker and not being out on the road um, for the last couple of months. But you know what? Looking at like Trump got COVID, Biden has not. Um, thank God for that, the protections and the safety doing, um, you know, still still putting out virtual messages and, and being in touch with voters um, and doing all of that work. I think that it worked and I, I, you know, I, I can't, I can't knock it because I think it's really working. And I think his decency really shone through in that debate, you know, like you couldn't have a starker contrast between Trump who is just all ego, all narcissism, a sociopath basically to Biden who is empathetic and is able to channel people's pain. He was most effective when he was able to look directly at the American people and make his case. And that's what he's always been able to do. Now, like I said, as progressives, like I wish that he would stand up more for progressive policies. It is painful to watch that happen when he wouldn't stand up for the Green New Deal and he wouldn't stand up for like Medicare for all. But, you know, that's it's our job. His job right now is to win. And then it's our job to make sure that he moves in the places that we need him to. And Biden has done that his entire career. He does listen. And I think that that is something that is more hopeful than maybe other candidates of the past. Yeah, he yeah. sat down at the table with a lot of progressives to hammer out his platform and uh, managed to, well, certainly he listened very deeply and managed to move things uh, quite a bit in the progressive direction. And as you say, you know, and Chris, this is something that you and I discussed when we were trying to flip the seat here in the eighth. Um, first of all, it's a hell of a lot easier to work with somebody who is a Democrat as opposed to a Republican. And in this instance, a hell of a lot easier to work with the Biden administration than a Trump administration. But we know that our work is uh, is ahead of us. Chris, I will just ask you from your observations at this point, what do you think the Biden camp is getting right at this stage of the election? Yeah, it, I mean, it seems to me that he's doing a good job of being the adult in the room and that whole empathy thing that Shasti was talking about. And he I mean, he even before COVID, he said he wanted to. Um, heal the soul of America. And I, I just think we're all hurting so much that that is exactly what we need. And it's really resonating with people. And, you know, he is not as progressive as I would like either. But, you know, he's talking about climate change in the context of jobs. I think that's huge. Um, and he's talking about health care and how important it is at the same time that Trump is trying to take it away. So um, I think he's doing a lot of things right. And then I, I'm wearing his T-shirt today. <laughs> Excellent. Yes. Very nice. Very nice. <laughs> uh, so before we move on from national news, um, I, tonight's going to be the first VP debate. I'm wondering what both of you are, are looking for, uh, looking to see. Shasti, what are your thoughts? I mean, it's, it's, it's thrilling. You know, I think all of us... Um, I think women in particular, right, are really excited to see her face off against Pence. I think, um, you know, she's representing for the African-American community and the AAPI community. And I think that's really exciting. So there is like a sense of like she's our hometown girl, you know, like we're just really rooting for her. And I think, you know, everyone loves that when she goes into like prosecutor mode against yeah. these jerks, you know, like um, I censored myself. Um, um, you don't have to. You can say what you want. Yeah. All right. Yeah. These idiots. Um, you know, really, 
it's it's a sight to behold, you know, and I, I she is a really she was so effective when she was in the debates during the primary. And I think seeing her go up against Pence, who like we have to be prepared that compared to Trump, Pence is probably going to come off smooth and you know like it's gonna be night and day so we won't get the same visceral reactions that you know that we were getting out of last week's debate but i think in this one she just has to be able to make a really solid um case which she's excellent at at being able to say why she and biden are the better choice the other thing i would say is that when the two people who are in the presidential seat who are potentially going to become president one has covid and is in his 70s, and the other one is in his 70s and healthy, but you are evaluating, I think the American public are evaluating who are in those seats moving forward, you know, if anything were to happen in the next four to eight years. Yeah. What are your thoughts, Chris? Well, I've been kind of picturing this moment for a long time. I, I really liked Kamala from the very beginning of the primary, just because she's so amazing in that prosecutorial thing. So I've been I've been picturing this debate for a long time. So what I'm hoping that I'll see tonight is her to toss over a box of tissues over the plexiglass because she makes my pence cry. <laughs> That's what I'm hoping to see. Um, and I, I think she really has to hammer the fact that he's supposedly the the head of the COVID task force or whatever that's been a complete failure. Um, And I'd also love to see her uh, really press him on women's reproductive health because the American people are not on the side of these far right wing Christian evangelicals. They just aren't. So that's I know she's going to be amazing and I can't wait. Yeah, likewise. I, I just wish that those plexiglass shields were higher. I wish that yeah. she would have built a Jamie Harrison style one, uh, yeah. something that really kind of closes her off. Because um, I just I'm I'm concerned because I'm concerned for her and I'm concerned for her, you know, being in proximity with Biden. But we'll just you know we'll we'll hope for the best here. So I want to shift and talk about state races. Um, the last time we spoke was before the primary, and what came out of the primary are a number of very high stakes races here in the state, um, from congressional races to the, the governorship to a bunch of uh, state races to the legislature. I'm curious to know what races now you are watching as we head into the general. Shasti, let's start with you. Yeah, out of King County, our main um, areas of focus is um, Gail Tarleton, who's running for secretary of state. There was an undervote um, comparing her to the other statewide um, Democrats. So we are doing everything we can to turn out. And that vote that needs to show up for Gail will come out of King County. Um, And then an area that you all know well, um, Kim Schreier, (laughs) out in the 8th. Um, We need to guard the castle and make sure that we don't lose any ground there. And so we are those are the two main races uh, alongside our 90, which is the referendum on sex education is also incredibly important. And what we saw last year when we were um, dealing with like the affirmative action referendum and whatnot is that even though it gets gets passed um, in the state legislature, if it when it comes back up on the ballot, it's not a guarantee. And so we have to do everything we can to protect the work that our that our legislators did. You know, we sent good, solid Democrats to Olympia. They did their job. And um, we have to make sure that that stays true. So those those three are the main things that I'm looking out for. Put a pin in that, because I really want to come back to R90 in just a second. But Chris, I'll ask you, what are some of the races that you're really keeping an eye on? Yeah, I mean, as, as Shasti mentioned, of course, Kim Schreier for the 8th District here, we worked 
so hard uh, to flip that seat uh, to Democrat, and so we absolutely must keep that one. I saw some good news from 538 today that showed that it's actually looking really good for her. Yeah. Um, so we've been focusing on that race a lot, too. Um, personally, I am looking at the Biff LD, which is my legislative district. Ingrid Anderson is challenging the incumbent, Mark Willett. Um, Ingrid doesn't take any uh, corporate PAC money or fossil fuel money. She's committed to seeing what we can do to make our tax system more fair. Um, and so I am really, really watching that one. The 25th LD, we have some good chances to actually flip those seats. So um, that's going to be really important as we go into this next session in Libya. I, too, am watching Gail Tarleton and, of course, my hero, Bob Ferguson. Of course, our hero, Bob Ferguson. Yeah, Gail Tarleton, Kim Schreier, absolutely. A couple that I would add to that are Twana Nobles in the 28th yeah. LD uh, for a couple reasons. One is she is one of the strongest candidates that we have right now as Democrats, especially on education. Um, also, yeah. she would remove Steve Oban, who is terrible on racial equity. He voted against health care and gun safety. He is terrible on climate. He is yeah. bankrolled by pharmaceuticals and, and fossil fuels. And this is hard to believe, but when Twana is elected, she will be the only black person in the state Senate. I just, this is hard to believe in, in 2020, wow. but this is true. Uh, and then finally, uh, Superintendent of Public uh, Instruction, Chris Rakedall. Uh, I think we, yeah. we need to fight very hard for him. And in, in addition to his having done a fantastic job in a very challenging time during the pandemic, he's committed to bringing more racial equity into our schools. I will say this about his opponent. She has lied about R90 in the voting pamphlet. Uh, she lied about her uh, education education credentials. Um, she listed an organization as a 501c3 that isn't. Um, she supports defunding schools through vouchers. She'd basically be our very own Betsy DeVos. So we cannot let this happen. So uh, Chris Rakedall uh, absolutely uh, gets a, a special mention from me. I do want to talk again about R90. So this is the ballot measure that would affirm a bill that was passed, as you say, by the state legislature requiring public schools to teach age-appropriate, inclusive, comprehensive sexual health education to K through 12 students. The GOP is really trying very hard to drive up turnout with its base with a disinformation campaign. The, the, the information around this is flat out untrue, and it's proving very difficult to counter, in part because, as, as I mentioned, uh, Maya Espinoza has disinformation about it in the voter pamphlet. It made it in. Chasty, uh, as, as a, you know, a, one of our party leaders, how do, we, how do we effectively counter this disinformation? I mean, and this is what they this is what they do. I mean, this is all they have is the disinformation because it's an absolutely fair bill. It's basically it's it's age appropriate sex education. It is incredibly important for our young people to be able to understand, you know, how how their bodies work and 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 how to talk about consent and things like that. That's just like and unfortunately, we have to start these conversations very young. So, um I think we have to just continue to sort of keep plowing through to make sure to bring it back to exactly what it is. Um, so I think we just have to continue to make sure that we are keeping it on the facts. We're talking about how important it is. We're making it, we're demystifying um, what the bill actually is and what the what the state legislature passed. Um, and then I think making sure that in every conversation that we're having related to candidates, because that often motivates our side, that we are also talking about the importance of voting um, for our 90. Absolutely. Uh, Chris, your thoughts on this? 
Yeah, I think uh, we need to not amplify their lies and disinformation. I think that's part of any kind of disinformation that you fight is to not un is to not um, accidentally amplify what they're saying. So I know that's a tricky line to cross to to walk sometimes. Um, and the other thing is, as Shasti mentioned, to point out the facts. I mean, and like the current curriculum, it's all in control of the parents and guardians. Like you, like parents can opt out of this. Absolutely yeah. right. Yeah, completely. Um, and the other thing is, you know, this is really going to help uh, young people not become victims of sexual assault. I mean, I don't understand why they're picking this battle. Um, and um, the other thing is, um, really, there's a lot of latent trans and homophobia um, in their agenda. So that that needs to be pushed right to the surface as well and to let people know why they're fighting back against this. Yep, absolutely to uh, really amplify and emphasize the the positives of this and just I will underscore this for people listening uh, in case you need messaging around this a vote to approve is a vote to pass SB 5395 which will require all public schools to teach age appropriate, inclusive comprehensive sexual health education to K-12 through students. So that is what that bill does. All right. So let's put a bow on all of this. Um, the presidential and Senate races have gotten a lot of attention, but I want to talk about the importance in each of your minds of what it will mean for Democrats to win here in Washington. Um, Chris, let's let's start with you. It's so important. I mean, we are getting ready to go into a historic session here in January because of the uh, pandemic that's going on and the incredible economic impact of that, not only from the budget sh shortfall, but all of the needs of all of our people. So it's incredibly important that we have um, strong Democrats in there that are not going to push some sort of austerity measures that we have seen time and time again across the globe that don't work. I mean, take Greece for an example, take other countries. It doesn't work. We're, we shouldn't do it here in Washington. The other thing is um, climate change. I mean, we are pretty darn close to being at the end of our opportunity to be able to do something about this. And we've got Republicans who are denying that it's even happening and some Democrats that are putting the brakes on any kind of of legislation. So we really need a strong set of Democrats in, in our House in Olympia so that we can fight back against it. I just uh, ran into my representative here in the 5th LD, Bill Ramos, and he told me that he was working on um, you know, police reform um, ideas and legislation, working actually with the police uh, uh, organizations. And so stuff like that is so important. We really, really need I'm really glad to hear that uh, from Bill Ramos. I know that this is an area of concern for him, and so I'm glad that he's actually uh, taking legislative action. Shasti, your thoughts. Um, I'm sure this is very much on your mind right now. Absolutely. I mean, you know, a lot of times I'm having to battle this idea that Washington is just this blue paradise, you know, that like we don't. It's, it's all easy and, and, and everyone on this, the three of us right here, we know that it's not. Um, and that you know, we have white nationalism that has come into, into King County and we are battling, we are battling the proud boys. We're battling an ideology and that is not far away. That's not happening just someplace else. That's happening right here. 
And so we need to, as Chris said, it's like we need to elect Democrats. Absolutely. But we also need to elect Democrats who are willing to stand up um, against, you know, sort of ingrained power structures that have not served all people. Um, we need to elect Democrats who are willing to take the hard fights um, to push forward on these policies. There's so many issues that we have kicked the can down the road, you know, on just trying. It's like respectability politics of trying to just like, you know, oh, let's just kind of like go, go along to get along. And and what I will say this summer around, you know, Black Lives Matter and the racial justice uprisings is that the culture of accountability has really come home. Um, and I think that that is we need it obviously against the Republicans and against Trump and all that, but we also need it right here with our with our um, electors that are down ballot. And so we, we just we have to keep doing all of that work to make sure never let our foot off the gas. Um, unfortunately, you can take a little bit of a break, uh, maybe around Thanksgiving, but then it's right back to it, and that's it. And if there is no there is no off cycle, it is an all day every day. So, like have to be in this and so it is exciting to have washington be a part of some of those conversations um and it's incredibly important for all your listeners to make sure they're filling out their ballots completely yep. all the way down fill out the whole ballot there are a lot of very very important races all the way down to the bottom i will also mention in terms of the legislature that it is a census year so whoever controls the legislature gets to draw the lines we could get a new eighth district uh, which would be wonderful um and then chris some of the things that you mentioned um the clean fuel bill could get passed uh and you know possibly capital gains maybe maybe uh gun safety advances toward universal health care uh, you know stuff that helps people the things that democrats like to do we like to use government to help people we're weird that way uh so finally let's let's end this by talking about what people can be doing in this final stage of the most important election of our lifetime so ballots drop on the 16th and the general is on the third shasti what are you encouraging people to do right now i think people need to do what they feel um the safest to do but you have to do something and so that is phone banking that is um, lit drops, lit drops that are done socially distant, um, you know, where you can drop lit on someone's doorstep. Um, but you have to do something. So um, you can give money. <laughs> Your candidates still need money. Um, I think also, you know, here in Washington, we know this, but um, the rest of the country is coming to terms with an election that will be a lot of decided by a lot of mail in ballots. So we should also be preparing ourselves um, that we may not have all answers on November 3rd. And so giving like a you have to do the work to make the phone calls, keep the foot on the gas to keep all this going, but also donating and giving money to candidates um, that may need to keep staff on for another week or so beyond November 3rd to chase ballots. Um, that is also incredibly important. Um, and you know what? The other thing is like, Talk to all your friends, talk to your family. The best type of organizing is relational organizing. Every, all of the voter turnout data says that if you make a plan to vote and you tell people what your plan is and then you help encourage people, like make a vote squad, say like we're all going to fill out, like let's go down on Zoom together and fill out our ballots together and talk about the issues. Let's listen to Stefan's podcast while we, while we fill out our ballots and then let's like go take it to our ballot drop box and I've looked up where my ballot drop box is. I know what I'm doing. And the more that you talk about that plan and you help others make a plan, the better we are all going to be. We had record turnout for the primary in King County, we set a goal at 90% voter turnout. 
So we need everybody. Really, everybody has got to participate in this election. And I know it's possible. So go and talk to your grandma and your friends and your grocery store clerk safely with a mask and make sure you're doing everything you can to vote. This gets right into this, a lot of the things that you've been saying, Chris, uh, particularly about encouraging people to influence their personal circles. Uh, that yes. makes a difference. How do you think we message effectively with those people uh, right now? I just, I just think you have to speak from the heart about why you think it's most important and ask them to think about why it's important to them and really kind of bring it in into their being so that they really take it home. And we need to ask everyone to, like Shasti said, share, share what your plan is to vote. Um, we, we really need people to keep going with the phone banks and the voter contact methods that we are able to do this time. Um, we, we've got some upcoming uh, sign waving events just because people want to get out there and do something. Um, and we also have a social media campaign that we're going to start where you can actually share in your own network um, things about the down-ballot races. I mean, everyone knows about Biden-Harris, but all of those important races that we've been talking about, we, we have some stuff coming up where we're going to encourage people to share. Um, so I think at this point, it's just talking to people, making sure you have a plan to vote. Um, and I'm going to actually text everyone in my phone and make sure that they vote. Just personally, that's what I'm going to do. So just... Anything. That's Everything. a great idea. Will you share with this program uh, the social media shares that, that you're talking about there? Because I'd yeah. love to spread that yeah. around. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I will just mention kind of in closing here that, you know, people are dragging right now. Right. Uh, and I feel like there's this sense that even with everything that everybody's doing, that it's not enough. And, uh, you know, I hear that from listeners. I feel it myself. Shasti, what, what would you say to those people? You start from a place of being enough. You know, who you are as a person is enough. So anything that you are doing, you know, is enough. But <laughs> but give all that you can. You know, like, like we've been saying, um, you know, take care of yourself, take care of your family members, you know, but then we have to be making sure that we're making those phone calls. I was just on an, an earlier call and someone was complaining about how they don't like phone banking. And I was like, I get it. But text bank, do something. You have to do something. And, you know, like have, have those hard conversations. There are certain people in my, you know, like Facebook world, you know, that I haven't talked to these friends in maybe 20 years. Like I got to try, I got to at least try. And, you know, like I'm not going to double down too hard, but I need to at least try to have some of those hard conversations with some people. I need to make sure that, you know, everyone knows exactly how to vote. Um, because, you know, it's, it, it, it's amazing the data on as much as we talk about all of this stuff because we're all in it. So many people don't actually know how to vote or they see a long ballot, which partially is there for a reason designed by secretaries of state that are often Republicans to make people not want to vote. Um, to help help someone understand like what it is on a ballot and walk them through remember to sign um on the outside envelope helping people do that is is a real service so whatever little bit you can do that and and try to take the pressure off of yourself we're gonna get there it's a few more weeks and hopefully there'll be blue skies ahead 
Yeah. Chris, I, I'm going to allow you to do, you can get the last word. I'm going to allow you to do what you do best, rev up the troops. <laughs> yeah. So I think something that I said to folks recently was, whatever you are planning to do with this election, do it now. Now is the time we need to do we need to do it. Um, in in 2018, uh, during the midterms, I remember waking up on that Tuesday morning, and I was supposed to go out sign waving um, that morning. And it was dark, and it was raining, and it was November. And I just laid there, and I thought, you know what? I have done everything that I could. I have left it all out in the field, and that's how we need to go into this November. I know that we are all tired. Um, and I just have so much gratitude for everyone, you know, you two on this call, Shasti and Stefan um, and everyone in the audience. Thank you so much for everything that you've done these past almost four years. Um, and we just have a little bit longer. I think that we have been fueling ourselves by hope, you know, that this this can get better. This will get better. And we just need to push a little bit longer to hit it home. So thank you. I want to underscore uh, what you just said there. And first and foremost, say thank you to my listening audience. Uh, you've been with me for the last four years. We started the show in February of 17. There have been many finish lines along the way that I thought I was going to hit and be like, okay, that's it. Bye-bye. You know, and it's like, no, no, we're back. And, and, and even after this election, it's going to be the same. But I want to thank all of you for your tireless dedication to this, but especially to both of you. Um, you have shown such extraordinary commitment to our state, our community, uh, to, yeah, I just, I, I, words fail me. I, I especially want to thank you both for your friendship. Uh, it is, it, it just absolutely means the world to be in this fight with both of you. Thank you. Thank you, Stefan. And me too, Chris. And that is it for today. Our website is indivisiblepodcast.org and our email address is indivisiblepodcast at gmail.com. The Washington State Indivisible Podcast is a production of Get Creative, Inc. and is part of the Demcast family of podcasts. Learn more about Demcast at demcastusa.com. Thanks this week to Catherine Feisier. Special thanks to Lori Caldwell. And as always, my thanks to you for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.